it's not fair. Because <laughs> you just sung one of the songs that we've, we've just sung one of the songs that just touches me. Uh, because the circumstances of that song don't mean a thing if we're talking about we're living a healthy, wealthy, prosperous life. And that's what we think about most of the time, is kind of where we are in life. And it's easy to say, it is well with my soul when everything's going well and great. But that song was written after that man's children died. Uh, And that song was written, and and it should speak the very um, heart uh, of our relationship to God. Because... Y'all said it this morning. Great is thy faithfulness. That verse was written in the midst of the end of the nation of Judah. They were in destroyed and in exile. And Jeremiah says, great is thy faithfulness. If we know that, we can trust God. And the other thing that just really strikes me is, this, this is not the sermon, by the way. <laughs> this is... A, uh, I've spent a lot of year, a lot of time in the last 30 years reading through the Bible every way I could. And I grew up with an image of God sitting on a throne like a judge and with God sitting over us. What I learned in reading the scriptures is that God is love and God is good. And because God is love and God is good, we can trust his faithfulness in the worst of circumstances. Wish that, that is, that's just, that's what that song tells us, and that's what we need to know. Every day, at some point, when I'm praying, those two things come back to my mind. God, I know that you're good, and I know that you're faithful. No matter what is happening, God is good, and God is faithful, and God is sovereign. Let's pray for a moment, and then I'm going to try and deliver the the message that I think God has given us. Father, you are good. You are trustworthy. You are faithful. We come before you this morning to praise and worship you, to honor you, and to thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. No matter what is happening in our lives, no matter how bad our circumstances are, you're good. You're loving. Your loving kindness endures forever. And you are faithful. And we praise you. May we live our lives in a way that honors your goodness, your love, your faithfulness. We pray this in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus. Amen. I'm going to try and stand because I'm afraid if I sit, I'll look this direction the whole time and I won't won't look at everybody. Uh, So uh, Mike gave me 15 minutes. And <laughs> he probably knew that that would be 20 minutes when he gave me 15 minutes. 
and I hope that that's what it, what it ends up as. Um, I want to talk this morning about seeking God. And what I'm going to do is just run you through um, and, and, and read through a series of scriptures that deal with the subject of seeking God. Um, because we, um, we all are commanded to do that, and that's what we want to do. This is going to be all over the scriptures. So uh, you, I, I'm going to try not to go too fast, but you may want to write down the verses and kind of come back to them. Uh, rather than trying to, to, to get to every one of them, because I probably will have read it before you get to, to some of them. So we're going to start off in one of my favorite books of the Bible, Ecclesiastes. Um, uh, the theme of Ecclesiastes is vanity, all is vanity, all is vanity. You read that over and over again. Well, I, should say, I shouldn't say the theme, the the, the book starts with that concept, and it goes back to it over and over again, and it describes life on earth without God. It's meaningless. It's vanity. We're going to start in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. I have seen the business that God has given the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Let me read that again. He has also he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for, for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in his toil. That is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is has already been, that which uh, is to be has already been, and God seeks what has been driven away. Just a couple of thoughts as you look at that. He says, uh, the author says, God has put eternity into every man's heart. That's one of those phrases that I had to stop and think about. What does he mean by that? And he says, yet that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. God has put within each one of us an, an emptiness, a vacuum, an emptiness that is a desire for eternity that is a desire for God. He built that within us, a, a longing for him that's within us. And what he's also done is he's made it clear we can't see and understand what he's doing. All right. um, we cannot find out what God has done from the beginning uh, to the end. But he knows what he's done. Whatever God does endures forever. And he... Um, uh, has done it. He's created us so that we will fear him. And then I love this last phrase here. He says, that which is has already been, that which is to be has already uh, been, and God seeks what has been driven away. What has been driven away? When I read that phrase, or what is lost, I think is the way some of the translations list it. 
when I read that, read that phrase, I think exactly what it's referring to. What happened to Adam and Eve when they sinned? They were driven away out of the garden, more importantly, out of the presence of God. Next passage I want to look at, and we're going to flip back and forth between the Old and the New Testament. This is Acts chapter 17 and verses 22 through 31. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For I passed along and observed the objects of your worship. I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore is you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he has made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. That, here's the purpose, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from uh, each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets, poets have said, we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. And by a, uh, by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the, from the dead. In Ecclesiastes and in Acts, Paul tells us God created us so that we would seek him, have a longing for him, uh, and want to move towards him. And he tells us uh, that God is seeking us what's been driven away. God is seeking us. And he tells us in this passage, God is not far from us. But here's where we really are. Psalm 14, verses 1 through 3. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, to see if there are any who seek after God. What does he find? They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. And we have virtually the same passage in the New Testament in Romans chapter 3, uh, the last half of verse 9 through chapter, verse 12. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. God created us with a need for him, uh, with a desire for us to seek him, and we did not, have not done that. We've all turned away from God. No one seeks after him. That being the situation, what happened? God 
decided to take action himself. And we're going to look in Isaiah chapter 59, uh, verses 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor is his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. Verse 9. We hope for light and behold darkness and for brightness, but we walk in the gloom. We grope for the, the wall like the blind. We grope like those who had no eyes. We stumble at noon as in the twilight. Among those in the full vigor, we are di- like dead men. And in verse 15, the Lord saw it and it displeased him. We walked away from him. We stumbled in the darkness. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him. Verse 16, he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. Speaking of his son, Jesus Christ. That takes me to the second half of this passage, John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. As we talk about seeking God, we see that he's seeking us. He's seeking us so much that he stepped out and did the work of salvation, our salvation for him. And that passage in Isaiah tells us our iniquities made a separation between us and God. A separation that we could not uh, undo. So God stepped in to deal with that. And that leads me to uh, Isaiah chapter 55, where we'll see God's invitation and the promise that he made. In Isaiah chapter 55, beginning in verse 1, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and, you, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Spend your money for that which is not bread and labor for that which does not satisfy. That's like the theme of Ecclesiastes, right, that we just read. It's a chasing after the wind. It's meaningless. Listen diligently to me, says the Lord, and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast love uh, for David. Let me read that again. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear what I am saying. It says, hear what I am saying, so that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast love uh, for David. Verse 6, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. 
For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I've told you before, I think when I've shared, I grew up in the church. I spent my whole life in the church, I think, from the moment I was born, it seems like, you know. We grew up in the church. I heard a gospel invitation given Sunday, Wednesday, Thursday nights, whenever we were there. I heard that all the time. My idea of what I understood to do was I needed to go down and pray a prayer. And when I prayed that prayer, I had my uh, eternal life insurance. I did not understand God's invitation. The invitation that we're given right here, which is the same invitation uh, that Jesus gives, is come to me. God says, come to me. Put your trust in me and enter into a relationship with me. He doesn't want us to pray prayer. He wants us to come to him and enter into a relationship with him, putting our trust and our faith in him. Let's go on. In Jeremiah chapter 29, beginning in verse 10, we read, For thus says the Lord, When seventy years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. So he's talking about after they've been in Babylon for seventy years in exile. Uh, then he says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Uh, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all of your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. The people are in exile. And God says, while they're in exile, I have a plan for you. This is to the children of Israel, specifically in that promise. And then he says, this is what, it's a, he says it's a plan with a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. When you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you. Write that promise down. That's what he wants us to do. Luke chapter 11, verses 9 and 10. The disciples came to Jesus and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And this is kind of the second half of what he taught them to pray. Jesus said to them, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Ask, seek, knock. What's, what does God give when we ask Him, when we seek what he has for us. When we knock, right, like I want to come in, I want to know what the Holy Spirit, and what does the Holy Spirit represent? God's presence in our hearts and lives. God's salvation. 
Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. From these verses, I get this is the command. Seek the Lord. Seek his presence. I want to read to you from Exodus chapter 33. This is uh, right before, right as God has given the Ten Commandments to Moses. Uh, and in that, right in that time period when Moses uh, is speaking before God. And verse 11 of chapter 33, Exodus 33 says, thus, says, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to a friend. And he said, uh, in verse 14, and he said, uh, this is the Lord saying to, to Moses, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Verse 18, Moses said, please show me your glory. Verse 19, and the Lord said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I'll proclaim before you my name, the Lord, Yahweh. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But the Lord said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. Moses spoke to God, and he says it face to face as a friend, a man speaks to his friend. And then when he goes on to talk about what does he mean by that idea of seeking God's face, being face to face with God, that is the presence of God that Moses uh, enjoyed and that Moses prayed that God would continue to be present with him and with the people uh, as they continued on their journey. Um, the psalmist picks up this same kind of theme in, in Psalm chapter 27. Uh, I'll read uh, several verses here, beginning in verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? In verse 4. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after. One thing I have asked of the Lord that will I seek after. That will I seek after. Let me get the emphasis right. What one thing will he seek after? That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Verse 7. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. And in verse 13, he says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage and wait for the Lord. One thing I have asked, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. It's the holidays. Some of you probably had family come and stay with you uh, over the holidays, uh, or maybe you've gone to stay with, with family over the holidays. Uh, maybe I should admit this, uh, but I get to a point when family's been with me for, you know, two or three days. What am I ready for? Separation. I think what are most of us ready for? A little bit of separation. This, the, uh, David, writing this psalm, says, this is the one thing that I seek. I want to dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life. 
And then he says that God said to him, seek my face. Seek in my presence. All the days of my life. Not just in eternal life, but here and now. That's the, that's the command that's there. And then the psalmist David finishes that thought with this. I believe that I will look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Faith, right? I believe that I will look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I will dwell in the presence of the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. That's the command to us. Seek his face, believe, and wait. Now, what does wait mean there? What does he mean by that? Trust in the Lord and wait for him. Trust in the Lord and wait for him. And then we're going to finish where the scriptures finish. In Revelation chapter 21, beginning in verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And then chapter 22, verse 1, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, brightest crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the street, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. God created us to know him. He put within us a longing, a sense of eternity that causes us to long for the eternal, for him. And he has sought us out. He has sought to restore what we destroyed in the Garden of Eden. Revelations tells us how it ends. Remember in, in Ecclesiastes, he said, uh, we can't know all that God has done, but what God does endures for how long? What God does endures for how long? Forever. That's the promise. That's exactly what we see in Revelation. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. I don't know why it never occurred to me until just this week. Um, now, Jesus, in the incarnation, he took on human flesh. He came to live with us, to grow up and suffer as a human being, to die for us, to pay the price for our sins, and then he was resurrected. And he still has that human body. And as best I can tell from the scriptures, he will always, for all of eternity, have that human body. Why is that important? Because we're going to dwell with him. 
And in him, we will see the very face of God. And that means we're going to dwell in the presence of God. It's God's work. It's what he's done. It's what he did in eternity past. It's what he's doing today, and he will do in eternity future. It's God's work. He has saved us and brought us to him. What does he ask of us? Come to me. Seek me. Seek my presence. Why don't we do it? We sing a song that says, I'm prone to wander, prone to turn away from the God I love. Those words always stab me right in the middle of the heart because that's me. Why? Because we don't keep our eyes on God. We start living for the meaninglessness, the vanity of this world instead of for the uh, eternal glory that God uh, would show to us and share with us in that sense that he will allow us to live with him in his presence. God wants us to seek him. He commands us to seek him. Not just to be the God who sits on the throne and says you're justified but to be our Father who we dwell with and will dwell with forever. Jesus even says our friend. Let's spend this year seeking God. Let's pray. Father, we can only thank you. We can't really begin to thank you enough for all that you have done, that you have created us to know you, to dwell with you. And when we broke that relationship, you're the one that acted to restore it, to bring us back. I pray for myself and for each of us, Father, that we seek you, and we long to be with you, to dwell with you, to know you, May we seek you with all of our heart, all of our might, all of our strength, and all that we are. Because you are absolutely worthy. And because you have promised us that you will be found by those who truly seek you. Amen.